uh, the angel's announcement to Joseph. We, we shone the spotlight on, on Jesus and as the incarnate Son of God, and then we also shone the spotlight on Mary. This morning, we're going to shine the spotlight on others in the Christmas story from Luke's account, Luke chapter 2. If you'd like to turn to that in your Bibles, I'm not going to read it now. I'm going to read through it as we go through uh, the message, but it'll be on the screen as well. Actually, when you found that, just keep your finger in Luke 2, but turn as well to Micah. I'd like to start off in Micah, and it's chapter 5. And uh, if you are turning to that, I'll give you a bit more time. Because it's not as easy to find as Luke. So Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Th this, <coughs> excuse me, this paints the picture of uh, what we're going to be looking at this morning. It's sort of the background picture. Micah 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. If you remember when the wise men went to Jerusalem, they were led by the star, and they went to Jerusalem and they asked where the king of the Jews would be born. Herod went to the scribes and the leaders, the Jewish leaders, and asked them, and this is what they turned to. And they said to him, the ruler, the Messiah, the king will be born in Bethlehem. So even the, the religious leaders and the teachers and the believing Jews knew this, knew that. It was a well-known thing to them. So let's start off in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. If you remember last week, we looked at what that meant, betrothal. It was a, a legal engagement. It wasn't like our engagement, but it was, a, it was a, a legal engagement. You couldn't break an engagement in those days without a divorce. So he went with Mary to Bethlehem. It is possible, of course, for, for a, a, a couple to arrange for a mother to give birth in a certain place or in a certain town. I remember the days when there were people, couples, who made sure their baby was born in Yorkshire. So that, might surprise you, so that if it was a son, they could play for who? Yorkshire cricket team, yeah, in those days. 
That shows me age. <laughs> and it's possible, you could say, that Joseph and Mary might have thought we need to, they'd been told that the baby to be born would be the Messiah, the Son of God. Somebody might say, well, they might orchestrate it so that they needed to be in Bethlehem at the right time. But when it came to the birth of the baby, they were in Nazareth. They were preparing for the birth there. But God was at work. Because miles away in Rome, the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, he was the most powerful man on the planet at the time. He just happened to order a census for tax purposes right across that affected people right across the Roman Empire and because of that though everybody had to go back to the place of their origins their family origins including Joseph and Mary and they were of the line and of the house of King David and so they had to go back to the city of David that was Bethlehem to register and it just so happened that that was at the time when Mary was pregnant was near to giving birth now in the emperor's mind he was thinking I need to enroll the world to find out who should pay my taxes I want to better organize this empire I would have firmer control of the empire. And yet all along he was fulfilling the decree that God had made 700 years before. So this godless man ended up playing a part in God's purposes. God's plans. It's a, it's a remarkable way that God works, isn't it? Works out his plans. Unknowingly. He did precisely what, he'd be, what it had been predetermined by God 700 years before. God was in control. Everything happened just at the right time. In uh, Galatians 4, verse 4, uh, I'm going to read the NIV. It says, but when the set time had fully come, and uh, that phrase there, when it had fully come, when the fullness of the time had come, it's, it's a picture of the the. the the hourglass, you know, the, the, the sun going through the egg timer, as it were, just when the last, very last detail, the smallest grain of sand had gone through at that exact time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God was in control. And we were reminded this morning, God created a star, it seems, just so that the wise men would go at the right time and be led to worship the baby, Jesus. What a powerful reminder, isn't it, that God's in control of our circumstances. God can work out his plans. You know, we, we're going through real awful times, aren't we, in terms of the chaos and the confusion regarding Brexit and all of that. But God can work out his plans even among governments if he could work out his plans through a dictator. 
through chance happenings, you know, chance occurrences and different things going on in our lives as we trust in him. And so God put it in in the heart of, of Caesar Augustus that all the Roman world should be enrolled. I love what John Piper said. He, he, he's done some daily devotions on the Christmas theme. And this is what he says about these verses. He said, Have you ever felt like me, little and insignificant, in a world of seven billion people, where all the news is about big political and economic and social movements and outstanding people with global significance and lots of power and prestige. If you have, don't let that make you disheartened or unhappy, for it is implicit in Scripture that all the mammoth political forces and all the giant industrial complexes, without their even knowing it, are being guided by God, not for their own sake, but for the sake of God's little people, the little Mary and little Joseph, who have to be got from Nazareth to Bethlehem. God wields an empire to fulfill his word and bless his children. Do not think because you experience adversity in your little world that the hand of the Lord is shortened. It is not our prosperity or our fame but our holiness that he seeks with all his heart. And to that end, he rules the whole world. He is a big God for little people. And we have great cause to rejoice that unbeknown to them, all the kings and presidents and premiers and chancellors and chiefs of the world follow the sovereign decrees of our Father in heaven, that we, the children, might be conformed to the image of his son Jesus Christ and then enter his eternal glory. I think that's great. If I had time, I'd read it again, but I haven't. You know, it's so important to know that and to believe that, that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. However frustrating our circumstances you know, or discouraging, or when things happen outside of the control of us. You know, I was thinking maybe decisions made by the government or even the local authority that can affect us or the health authority or the education authority, you know, that adversely affects our life. It might mean that our child does not get into the school we'd like them to get into or our grandchild, or, or it might mean our benefit gets stopped unfairly or some investment fails, or the business fails, or whatever it is, to know that God is in control. It might be a reorganization at work that means that people's jobs get downgraded and we're not what we think we should be doing. God is in control. Can we trust God in those situations? Yes, we can. God does not change. He is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. So Mary and Joseph, they set out on their journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It was about, it was over 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. According to Little Donkey, Mary had a ride. Maybe she did, we don't know. She might have been in a cart, 
pulled by a donkey. It's not said. However she got there, it must have been the most uncomfortable, discomforting journey you can imagine. She was heavily pregnant. She had to get 70, over 70 miles, and it wasn't, it wasn't tarmac roads in those days. Walking, maybe riding, we don't, even on a donkey. It must have been hard, exhausting, uncomfortable. It must have lasted at least two days, probably more. I was thinking, you know, from Mary's perspective, we thought about this last, last week a little bit. She had become pregnant and she told everyone that Joseph wasn't the father. In fact, she said no one was the father. God was. I sometimes wonder how Mary explained that to her parents. And then I think, well, how did she explain it to Joseph's parents? her future parents-in-law. And then what about the neighbors, of course? What about the community? They, they, they didn't have an angel to tell them what was going on. So why should they believe the incredible story? And I would think there was a lot of shame there and uh, a lot of finger-pointing behind the scenes. So I was thinking, this enforced trip to Bethlehem was a, a blessing in disguise. It, it took her right out of that situation. Right out of that embarrassment, of that close-knit culture she was in. That difficult environment. So God was working even in that to bless his children along the way. You know, Mary and Joseph weren't sort of little chess pieces that God was moving around to fulfill his plans. They were real people with real feelings and God was in it, helping them, being with them, caring for them along the way, as he does for us. So verse uh, 6. So it was what, that while they were there, the days were completed for, he, for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Incidentally, the Roman Catholic Church teaches what's called the, what they call the perpetual virginity of Mary. They say that she um, took a vow of chastity so that she never had sexual relations, never had children again, after Jesus was born. But you notice what it says in verse 7. She brought forth her firstborn son. Well, that implies there was a secondborn, doesn't it? Maybe a thirdborn. And we know elsewhere, the brothers and sisters of Jesus, it mentions that. And we looked last week at how it said that uh, uh, Joseph did not know her until she brought forth her firstborn son. So Mary enjoyed a normal married life. There's no need to make her more special than the Bible makes her, than God made her. So here they are. They, they arrive in Bethlehem. They find the inn was full. Probably there was only one inn. It's only a small place in those days was Bethlehem. 
There was extra visitors, no doubt, because of the census. So there were more guests. So the inn was full. It's interesting, isn't it? And, and James uh, referred to this. There was no room for Jesus. So that, that, that was a, um, a foretaste, wasn't it, of the rest of his life in a way. There was no room for Jesus. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. And people do not have room for Jesus today, do they? There's no room. People have over their, si over their hearts, as it were, no vacancy when it comes to Jesus. They have lots of room for lots of other things, but no room for Jesus. Have you got room in your heart? Have I got room? Have we made room? I think sometimes that's probably the more opposite sort of thing to say, isn't it? Have we made room? Are things cluttering our lives so much that Jesus cannot be Lord of my life today? And do you know the Lord is your saviour? Is he in your life? Have you made room? Have you opened your heart and received him? Don't let this picture be a picture of our heart today or for the rest of our lives. And so they had to make do with a shed. It's likely it was an outhouse, sort of a, a, attached to the inn. The innkeeper probably had pity, said, well, you can have that. It's where the, where the animals meet, but you can, you can have that. There may even have been, I've always thought they were on their own, but there may have been others in that shed we don't know church, church tradition says it was a um, a rock a uh, sorry a cave hewn out of the rock but wherever it was whatever it was it was not a suitable place to give birth to any baby never mind the son of god couldn't god who moved an emperor to make a decree for a census that affected the whole world, the Roman Empire world, couldn't God have arranged it better so that when Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem, they would have a nice room, a nice place to live? And the answer is yes. God could have done that. But that this was all part of God's plan. This was all part of God's, the details of God's plan for them. This, this was a picture of the depths to which the Son came. He came from the, from the glory of heaven, didn't he? He came from heaven itself and the, 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 the worship of the angels. He didn't just come to earth. He came to the lowest part. He came to a stinking, smelly place. That was the, it was a stable. There would have been a... The, well, there would have been animals there. Whether they moved the animals out, we don't know. Because they laid Jesus in the manger. And it's literally a feeding trough. That's what the, the original means. So, couldn't God have done that? Changed that? Couldn't he have arranged it? Yes, he could. But the whole, every detail was a picture of Christ coming down and coming down into the, the smell of this world. And to the smell and stench of my sin. And your sin. And being willing to go to the cross. To die there. Take the awful, ugly, 
revolting sin that was to him just like a stench, an awful stench. And he was willing to take that. He was willing to come down that far. And uh, Philippians 2 says he didn't think equality to God to be grasped hold of, but he stooped, he humbled himself. So what a picture this is. And these verses, verses 6 and 7, they describe the most glorious event in the history of mankind. When the Redeemer was born. When the Son of God came into this world as a baby that he might become the Savior. And he was laid in an animal feeding trough. Because that was God's plan. Verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day, in the city of David, a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. So God sends an angel to this group of shepherds. It may be in the angel Gabriel, we, we don't know. They were looking after their sheep on the hills surrounding Bethlehem. How, how many actually have been to Israel? Just put your hands up. Just, just quite a few have been, yeah. Yeah, well, if you go, we've been, you go to that place, or, or at least around that. It's one of the unspoilt things of the Holy Land. So you're there in the fields surrounding Bethlehem, looking on, looking out over Bethlehem. And the angel of the Lord told the shepherds about the Savior who was born in Bethlehem. <coughs> and then verse 13 and 14 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill. Toward men. The word there, multitude, there was a multitude of the heavenly host. In the Greek, it's the same word for 10,000. Okay? And I don't think there was, I don't, I'm sure the shepherds weren't counting. I think it's just the fact that there were lots and lots of angels. Do you know how many angels there are? No, neither do I. It's, it's, but if you go into Revelation 5, it does say there were millions and millions of them. 10,000 times 10,000. That's, I think that's 100. No, well, anyway, it's a lot. <laughs> that's right. It's loads. There are millions and millions of angels. That, that's, the, that's the thought. And so here, we're not sure where they were, but it's, uh, we presume they're in the sky, filling the sky with the glory of God. What a sound as they praised God, as they lit that sky up. I don't think we can even imagine what those shepherds felt like at that time they, they, they were just ordinary men you know the shepherds in that day 
were the lowest of the low. They were right at the bottom of the social ladder in Jewish society. They were the commonest, most unappreciated people. They would be poorly educated, poorly paid, and unskilled, if you like. And, and to some extent, they were viewed as unreliable and uh, dishonest. Th there was this stigma attached to them. The nature of their job meant that they couldn't obey the Sabbath law because they had to look after the sheep. They couldn't obey all of the pharisaical laws. So there was a sort of a, a religious snobbery against them as well. And yet it's to those shepherds out of all whom God could have chosen that he sent his angels to announce the coming of a saviour. You know, if Lord Sugar and The Apprentice had been on television at that time and the two teams had been given the task of publicizing the greatest event in history to as many people as possible, I don't think they would have chosen shepherds. Although judging by the incompetence of some of them on The Apprentice, I think perhaps they might have done. But you know, anyone worth their salt would have targeted if you like the important people, wouldn't they? The movers and the shakers, you know, the politicians, the emperor, the chief priests, the political leaders, to make sure the most important people would know about this great event. But God does things differently. He, swips, he switches things around. He turns things on the head. He chooses the foolish and the, and the unlearned and the unwise to bring to naught the wise. And this is a wonderful example of that. God does things differently. He chooses the insignificant, the lowly, to confound the wise. God cares for the little people. Verse 15. When the angel, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. I wonder what Mary had been thinking up to this point with all that had happened. If you think about it, the, the, the angel had told her that the baby she was having was a miraculous child. She was miraculously conceiving, conceiving this child. The child would be the son of the highest, that would be the Lord of all, the Messiah. And Joseph had had a dream too, telling him about that. But, but since that time, as far as we know, there was no other communication. There was no other visit from an angel telling Mary what she should do. Now, if, if you've had a, a firstborn child, you know there's a lot of trial and error in that. What do you do? And I'm sure Mary, remember she was a young teenager? Expecting her first child. 
wondering to herself, will I be a good mother? What do I do? How do I... You know, there was no postnatal, prenatal classes in those days. There was no how do you look after a kid book. <laughs> but she was young. And, and how, what, how was she coping? What was she thinking? And I'm sure that going to... Uh, uh, back at Nazareth, she was thinking with Joseph, at least we're in the privacy of our home. We'll have a, probably a midwife. There were midwives in those days. We would have mid, we'd have hot water. We'd have a bed. And then out of the blue comes the news of a census. And they have to make the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. This is over 70 mile journey. And imagine her distress when she gets to Bethlehem. And the, what, tired, worn out, exhausted, there's no place to stay. And one of the innkeepers says, oh, you, you have a shed, you know. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of making arrangements when everything goes wrong. You know, you're going on holiday abroad. You've made all the arrangements, and on the way to the airport, the car breaks down. And it's pouring with rain. And you, you arrive late in the nick of time. You're wet, you're upset, you're flustered. And you find that there's a strike on. And you're cooped up in the airport for 24 hours. And you finally arrive at your hotel. And it's like a building site. And there's, at least there's running water, but it's running down the walls. And that sound of tropical nightlife, as the brochure said... It's the sound of lizards and frogs and crickets, but they're in your room. And it goes from one disaster to another. It's like that. It, Mary must have been thinking, what have we done wrong? <laughs> Where have we stepped out of the path? And just then, she hears voices. Men's voices. They're excited. There's footsteps outside, quickly approaching. And then there's, at the door, these look like shepherds. And they sound excited. And they come into this shed. And then they quickly quieten down. And they look in the corner of that dimly lit shed, stable. And they see the wooden manger there. And inside they see the baby lying there. And they go over and they peer inside, and they stand there gazing. And then they begin to praise God together. And slowly out comes the story of how an angel of God had appeared to them, followed by a host of other angels, praising God and rejoicing. And the message from the angels to them was, go see a baby, just born in Bethlehem, who is the long-awaited Messiah, Christ the Lord. And you will know that it's the right baby because you'll find that baby lying in a feeding trough. Even the angels were aware of that fact and they were rejoicing because of it. So how reassuring to Joseph and to Mary to hear that. Things hadn't gone wrong after all. They were in the right place. They hadn't gone out of God's will. Somehow God had been leading. All of the frustration and all of the disaster that this 
journey seemed to have been all about. It was all part of God's plan. And you know, in, in all of our circumstances, sometimes it seems that we're out of control, doesn't it? It sometimes feels that, what, what on earth is happening? And yet, God has his way of working it out. You can trust God. I can trust God in this. He has his ways of bringing encouragements to at the right time, doesn't he? Just as he did for Mary and Joseph. Just that wonderful timing. Can you see God's timing in your life at work over and over and over again? Can you say, as I can say, Lord, thank you for working out the details of my life. Thank you. Thank you for bringing things together. You have guided me. I thought at the time, I'm out of your will. I got frustrated. I'm sorry about that. But you were in control. I can see that, Lord. I'm sorry I haven't seen your hand in the picture of my life before. But I see it now. And I want to put that right. I want to praise you. And I know, Lord, I've done things which are my own fault, and I've, I suffer for that, and I recognize that. I can't get away from that. But I know that even those things, you somehow can bring that together for your good. Don't understand that. And Lord, I want to be in the center of your will as Mary and Joseph were. Even if that means uncomfortable journeys, even if that means unpleasant, difficult paths to, to, trod, to tread, I know that's better than a, a life of comfort outside of your will. So, Lord, thank you for what you did in Mary and Joseph. But would you do that with me as well? Thank you that you're still the same God. Can you say that? I can say that. So, verse 17. We'll finish with this. And now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. <clears throat> and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. I'm sure she did. Sure she did. Sure she treasured all of these things in her heart. They were precious things to treasure. And may that be our response to God on his ways, about his ways in our life over this Christmas time and in all of our lives, in every situation and in every circumstance. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that you controlled and overruled every detail of the coming of your Son into this world. Lord, thank you that he came all the way down into a smelly, dirty stable and thank you Lord he came even farther down to touch the lives of sinful men and women like we are Lord we are we were mired in the stench of our sin 
but Lord, you sent your son to take that upon himself. Now we thank you that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Lord, we thank you as well that you're a God in control of details, of situations. Lord, you control the great movements of, of history. You control the fulfillment of prophecy. And you control the circumstances in the smallest detail of our lives, Lord. How amazing is that? And so, Lord, we ask that you'd help us. Please help us to trust you in all of the things that we go through, in every situation that we face. And Lord, I do pray as well for any here this morning for whom there hasn't been room in their heart for Jesus. They have never accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, may this be a day when they open the door of their heart by faith and trust in Jesus so that they too can find a, a, a Father God who is trustworthy and who they can live their lives with leading them and guiding them and lord as the lord's people we pray would you help us to make room so that every part of our lives are under your control lord teach us how to do that we pray so that you can be glorified in us and through us in jesus name amen afterwards i'm going to ask our members of our prayer team would you like just to come to the front and anybody like prayer and somebody to pray with you they'll be there um, just to pray for you about anything maybe I've, things I've spoken about or things that maybe just you bring you brought in and you'd like someone to pray for just come to the front and there'll be people there we're going to take our offering as we sing angels from the realms of glory about those angels let's stand and sing <laughs>